Who's the person you turn to when you need advice? The person who gives you confidence and strength? The person who's been your biggest support? The person you shop with, ask their opinion and trust them implicitly? For me, it's... Hi, Ma. Hi, Del. As a mother and daughter, we know we have a close bond, but each mother and daughter relationship is unique and different, and that's exactly what we want to explore. Each week, we'll sit down with mothers and daughters and talk about their bond, from the ones who work together to others who have survived, shared passions, overcome loss, and in general, have a great relationship that is worth sharing. This is Mothers Mothers and Daughters Daughters Podcast. Podcast. Hi, Ma. Hi, Del. How are you? Good. Week was good. School. Kids back at school yeah. again. Kids but back I mean, at that's... school. So then there's, there's just nothing else to really worry about. It's nice. Yeah. So it's Life's getting a bit more back to normal. Yeah. I'm going to restaurants. You're going to restaurants. Or you're flitting from here to there to everywhere. Yeah, I did. Even went to the movies. Yeah, I did. I took the boys to the movies. It was empty. It was great. Well. No one's going to the movies. I think you've got to get a little bit more... Courage to kind of go out to go well, just to kind of continue with your lifestyle that you had to have or Mm. that you had previously. Yeah, that baby steps, Mm. baby steps. Yeah, but it's nice, it's you know, lovely seeing all the kids back at school and the road and the roads. Yeah, I know that's 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 the downside. Yeah, that's not so nice, but it's been nice seeing people in restaurants like gatherings, a lot of um. Ladies gatherings, I could see. Yes, yes, uh, they, they've really missed each other. Yeah, yeah. Even the restaurant we were in last night, there were quite a few tables of young women. Yeah, yeah. So they've missed that connection, girl, girl on girl time, girl time, mm. and hopefully lots of mothers and daughters as well getting together again. Yeah, which, which is, is nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, yeah. All families reuniting. Yeah, that's also nice to think that everyone's been able to do that. Yes. And we are going to do a new little segment called Celeb Mothers and Daughters that we spot during the week and I'll share who that is on social so you can see who that is. One was, which I thought was really cute and I have shared it already, is Victoria Beckham and Harper in New York traveling together. That's very nice. With crews. Very nice. Sibling bonding as well as mother and daughter bonding. Oh, and I saw, I didn't tell you this, Mm. Diane Keaton's daughter got married. Oh, I did see that. I did see that, whether it was yours or I I did see that she was in her white pantsuit. white pantsuit and hat. Yes. God, love her. Mm. I have sent her a DM as well. If anyone knows Diane Keaton, we'd love to speak to her too. I guess anybody knows any, any... Any more celebrities out there that are happy to talk to us that yeah. are mother and daughter would be, yeah, would be most, most grateful. Mm. So, yes, congratulations to Diane Keaton's daughter. And the last one this week, which I noticed, was Julia Hart. For those who haven't watched the Netflix series, My Unorthodox Life, different to unorthodox. Yes. If you think you're getting that, you're going to be... yeah. Well, it's shocked. A, 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 a reality show. A reality show yeah. of someone who does leave a very orthodox Jewish community in New York and and certainly does completely not. Yes, I was going to say. In uh, terms of her way of dress and way of yeah, life Definitely now, a 180 so. there. Yeah, definitely. And she was on a panel with her daughters. She's got two daughters this week. And so that was pretty it was nice to see that, and that's dealing with their season two. So if you haven't seen season one, season two is coming soon. Oh, exciting. Yeah. Lovely. I loved it. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed I it. they're hysterical. 
So, yes. Certainly out there. Definitely. Out there She's life. very out there. Mm. So that's, yeah, it's just our little celeb mothers and daughters wrap up for the week. And this week's episode is with Casey and Andy in the US. And this is, I mean, such an amazing story. Andy was born at 25 weeks and she's now, oh, it would be her 21st birthday mm. today. So happy birthday mm. to Andy. Mm. And just the amazing sort of life that, well, what the doctors well, the challenges, told her yeah, The challenges that she had to face being such a primmy baby mm. and to see her now, firstly, obviously you would never know. No, you would never know. Even though she went through quite a few operations in yeah. her life. She but said, um, wears her scars very proudly. Yes, yes, happy to talk about mm. them and, you know, nothing has held her back. She has achieved so much and obviously, you know, has challenged herself her whole life yeah. as well. Yeah, nothing holds her back. No. And yeah, very admirable young woman. Mm. And her mum, Casey, wrote a book called Primi and talking about her experience because she felt very sort of alone. And also what the doctors had said to her was completely opposite to what Andy's life is mm. in terms of her life expectancy, what she, you know, was going to be capable of. And Casey pushed back on that and was like, no, we're just going to let her be yes. who she is. And sure enough, that was hugely. <laughs> well, very motivated. She's yeah. a very motivated young woman. Very. And they're just wonderful, obviously, like she's got a wonderful mother, but wonderful family mm. as well that, yeah, they just obviously never say no. Yes. It's like, yes, it's like whatever yes. you can. Exactly. Whatever you, whatever you want, you want to, do. to do, you you just do it. Yeah. I think she was talking about, was it that jumping on a horse, there was, there's an amazing story yes. where Andy wanted to, I don't even know what it's called, but it's not for the faint hearted. And also if you've got young kids, it's not something you want to put them into, but. But isn't it, I think her, case, mother, her mother just thought she was she just, just wanted to ride, just a horse. ride a horse and didn't realize that. It's like no, jumping no. and all sorts of things. So yeah, it's quite an amazing story. And Casey's story about how she wrote the book, it's just, it's just a great understanding yeah. of a mother, well, a mother's challenge having a preemie baby and how, you know, she kind of took her a while to not accept it, but more didn't realise the, the challenge and the, the trauma, trauma that affected her, yeah, you know, took her many, be. many years to be able to understand it. And then obviously writing the book helped, helped her. Yeah. Yes. And her amazing daughter who, yeah, has just achieved so much in her very young life. Yeah, exactly. So enjoy. If you see any celeb mums and daughters out and about, send us a DM or tag us and we'll check it out and discuss it next week. In the meantime, have a lovely week. And can you tell us a bit about yourselves? Andy, did you want me to go first or do you want Yeah, to you can go first. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Casey Matthews. Um, I am coming in today from New Hampshire in, in the States, in the U.S. I am the mom of two, one being here with us today and Andy and then her brother Tucker, who's a couple years older. I am a writer and I have a couple books out in the world. And the first one was inspired by 
the one who's sitting right there, Miss Andy. She um, arrived unexpectedly halfway through my second pregnancy. And so I ended up writing a book called Preemie Lessons in Love, Life and Motherhood because both children turned out to be my greatest teachers. And that unexpected event that I found myself completely unprepared for turned my world upside down, but ended up being my greatest gift and transformation because I woke up and saw the world was so much bigger than I ever thought it was. And it chronicles all the alternative therapies that um, we pursued um, to support Andy through her journey, um, the medical world journey. So, and then I wrote another book called The Mom's Guide to Creating a Magical Life. And I'm a book writing coach, a transformational life coach, and um, a speaker. So that's, that's me. So many lives um, in I'm, one. Yeah, I'll say. Very, very <laughs> impressive bio there. Thank you. So my name is Andy. I am obviously Casey's daughter. And I am in Massachusetts right now because I go to a business school in Massachusetts, like 30 minutes outside of Boston. And I'm here studying business and I'm in my second year. And I would like to be an entrepreneur in the future. So that's what I'm studying for. And I love skiing and being active and reading. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Very nice. And Casey, kind of going back, obviously, what was your pregnancy like with Andy? Um, There were a couple of little rough spots, but not anything monumental. And Tucker, Andy's older brother, had been born on his due date, um, weighing eight pounds two years prior. So there was no indication of anything high risk, anything like that. And um, so it was really at 25 weeks gestation. I just said, I just feel funny. I don't feel well. And there was this whole um, set of events that actually led us from where we were in upstate New York back home to where we were at the time living just outside of Boston. And on a Sunday, the doctor said, you know, why don't you just come in to be checked? And I was already in labor, having not known it. And this jumping right in, trying to hold off the labor, which they were able to do for only 24 hours. And then Andy was born by an emergency C-section when she started to go into distress. And when she was first born, obviously, that was at 25 weeks. So, you know, it's halfway through. What was your first thought when that happened? Because, I mean, really, you don't expect, you know, you occasionally feel some sort of pain every now and again, but you don't expect to be in labor. Did you kind of feel like, okay, this is happening. I'm just going with, you know, just how, how did you take that initially? So I was the exact opposite of that and I freaked out. Like completely, As you would. wholeheartedly freaked out because... First of all, you know, this was a baby that was not coming for another three months. So there was just this disconnect. And then I had this beautiful two-year-old that had never been separated from me and we'd never been apart. And suddenly they're saying, you're not leaving this hospital until this baby's born, which was in my mind, three months from that moment. And my husband's holding Tucker And I'm screaming, who's going to take care of Tucker? And it was just sort of like the whole world was falling apart. And and one nurse, they were wheeling me backwards down the hall to admit me. 
And I clutched onto the arm of this nurse and I said to her, you don't understand. Things like this don't happen to me. And she looked me right back in the eye and she said, they do now. Mm. And it was mm. this like a reality it, check. You know, like, it was a reality. Mm. It was a cold, water, a cold water in my face that I actually needed to just go get here. This is happening. Yeah. And, deal with it. You know, yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was something. Gosh. And then obviously, so you thought you were staying in hospital for three months, but that didn't end up being the case. So 24 hours later, you had Andy. What was that like? I mean, she must have been so teeny tiny. I can't even imagine how little she would have been. It's interesting to be talking about it in front of you, Andy. Andy's turning 21 next month, a week from tomorrow. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Big birthday. So I was actually, you know, feeling emotion around that today So going back to that moment, um, what ended up happening is um, a a team of doctors, pediatricians came in and gave all the grim statistics of what would potentially happen if a baby were to even survive at that age. And when they left, the the other um, OBGYN came in and she kept talking about we need to get that baby out. We need to do a cesarean right away. And when she walked out of the room, the nurse that was busying herself turned and said, you didn't hear this from me, but I'm going to tell you, I've been here 20 years and that doctor has been here six months. And the longer you keep that baby in, the better off you'll be. So we really took that to heart. And the doctor kept checking back in and pushing us to, to begin delivery. And we kept holding off. And then at midnight with the shift change, my own OBGYN came in and it was just this like, uh, you know, uh, the, the familiarity, the, the beauty. And then when Andy went into distress, he ended up delivering her and, and he'd had a close relationship through the birth of our son. So my husband knew him. So they were both together on the other side of one of those big curtains, you know, with the C-section across my belly. So I couldn't hear what was happening. And they said, um, you know, be prepared. You won't hear anything when the baby's born because we will immediately take the baby straight to the NICU. And there was a team of, you know, six nurses, doctors, pediatric doctors, like the whole, there were probably about 12 staff in there, plus my husband and myself. So then they said, the baby's out. And I kept saying, is it a boy or a girl? Is it a boy or a girl? And we didn't know. And one of the big things they had said leading up those 24 hours, they kept trying to hold off labor is, hope you're having a girl. They have stronger lungs at birth. And it was just this sort of weird thing. And I was really pretty determined I was having a boy. It just had had that mom sense. So I kept saying, is it a boy or a girl, boy or a girl? And, And Dr. Shaw said, I I never even saw. They whisked her away so fast. And Lee said, I don't know. (laughs) And they're doing all this medical treatment. And then all of a sudden we heard this noise, like a a little box had been opened and then closed shut of a noise from Andy. And Lee looked at me and said, the baby's strong. Like that was just this moment of hope for us. Um, And then um, they said, it's a girl. You have a girl. And it was just, and then she was gone. Mm -hmm. And that was Mm -hmm. like, you know, this, and you know, Tucker had been born in the umbilical cord with midwives and put in my chest. So this, what just happened? Yeah. I mean, just, it was just so unbelievably strange and bizarre. Every mm. moment of it, there was nothing that had prepared me for that. 
I don't think anyone would be really. No, I mean, look, you always say you go into it like you always have a birth plan, but you know that that plan can be just ripped up and and thrown mm-hmm. out the window. Yeah. But you never quite want to have that, you know, that's just it's so taken out of your hands in every sort of respect. So how long after, obviously, Andy went straight to the NICU, how long did she spend in the NICU? She was there for 84 days. Oh, wow. But an interesting part that I'd love to share with you was so soon after she was born, then I was taken to the maternity ward. and. There I was in the midst of all these rooms with balloons Mm. and going past the nursery with all the healthy babies there and hearing them going in and out of rooms with the babies on the other side and just feeling so much shame, Mm. so much guilt, you know, this repeated refrain through my head of what did I do to cause this? What did I do wrong? And everybody kept saying, it's nothing you did. This just happens. But I was like, you know, just a dog on a bone detective, like, I have to know why this happened. What did I do wrong? Um, So Lee, my husband, typically in um, a preemie parent situation, what I came to learn later is mom tends to really step in and dad will find ways to step out as he would work. That's just the stereotypical way. And fortunately for me, fortunately for Andy, um, my husband Lee and her dad was anything but, and he completely threw himself in and and stepped up. And um, so he went to see her at the NICU immediately. And I was back in the room and I'm trying to pump and none of that is happening, of course, halfway through. So then at some point along the way um, that we delivered about 6 a.m. So many hours later, maybe four hours later, a nurse came in and said, you know, let's take you to go see your baby. And I knew myself well enough that I wasn't ready, that I needed more preparation. And and I said, I'm, you know, I'm not ready yet. And she said, well, let's take you anyway and see if you change your mind once you get there. And just sort of without, you know, so this further loss of control, like you mentioned, so then I'm up in the NICU and um, the the lights, the alarms, the other parents, the babies having just delivered, it was all so much. And then two nurses are standing there and they pull back the box of the isolate and they're like, here's your baby. And, you know, Andy, you've seen pictures of what you look like, but it is not what a mother would expect, you know, a human baby to look like. It's, you know, very alien, very like a baby bird from a nest Hmm. kind of thing. And I ended up, my reaction, you know, I'm, it's the truth. It is what it is. But I ended up just throwing up all over myself. And they oh, wheeled me out of there yeah. immediately. And it was sort of a big scene. And so when I wrote the book, I rewrote, I, you know, that happened. And what I wanted to advocate for other women, other mothers who were in my same situation, that there could have so easily been a different way that if there had just been sort of prep work and just say, here are a few pictures of what to expect. This is what a NICU, NIC, you know, the neo-intensive care unit, this is what it looks like. This is what to expect. So I could have gone in there in a very different frame of mind Mm -hmm. rather than you're just going and we're not hearing or listening. So I wrote a chapter called Recreating My Truth. And really felt like that was a teaching opportunity um, for the hospitals, for the medical world to say, look, this can be a really different way. So I wanted to share that because it was an important part. No, that's amazing. Can can I ask, have they taken 
any of your, you know, what you've written on board? Has anything changed that you know about? Yes, like positively, I hear wonderful things. Um, it change is difficult within the medical system because it's all about strictly medical. But there are wonderful people out there, neonatologists. One, um, she was the head neonatologist in Kansas, Dr. Sue Hall. And she really was a champion of family-centered medical care. And the theme of my book, and, and she wrote her own book called the For the Love of Babies. And what she really was pushing and a proponent of was getting the hospitals and the medical staff to understand that you're not just treating a baby, that you're treating a family so that, you know, if mom isn't whole, if mom is a basket case, if dad is a basket case, baby's going to be affected by mm, that. Mm. So she did this wonderful thing and I participated in a study. Of, um, it's still ongoing out of Stanford University where they're actually training fellows in um, this type of family-centered care. And and I was on there as um, they had hired actors to play the preemie parents and they created scenarios and they took that through, took them through that. And then as a parent, preemie parent, they asked us to offer positive feedback and also critique what could you have done differently. And it was a great opportunity to say, you know, um, that that would have been a trigger for me, what you said, you know, mm. and the beauty of this gift of remote connection is that's was happening in California. It was a local thing, but, you know, with Zoom and the way yeah. things have been, we were able to connect with all preemie parents around the country. So it was beautiful. So wow. there has been a real, a, a real awakening to consciousness on some levels in many places and there's such a long way to go yeah and it does it it almost feels like it takes so much longer to get somewhere and it's such a minute what might feel like such a minute change of you know not necessarily putting you in the maternity ward maybe you know keeping you separate just for the time being you know it's not a nice feeling to be separated but at the same time you don't need to be triggered by other mums who've got their babies. And when you say you you connected to other preemie parents, did you feel like you had a a bond with the other parents that were in the NICU at the same time? I didn't at all. And that was something that was really, I felt was really tragic because the way the room was in particular at this hospital in Boston was set up is there were three large or several rooms, but six isolates of babies and parents at each and there were screens around them all and this was in the year 2000 they were just so vigilant about HIPAA the protection and privacy acts that they kept instilling when you go in don't look at other parents don't look at other babies this is privacy so it felt so wrong that the the only people in the world, the other people in the world that could really relate to what I was going through and I could connect with. You couldn't, you couldn't. Oh. So I did connect with two other moms um, 
outside of the hospital through, you know, other people connected us. And we both really advocated to, to all the three of us to really um, make some changes at the hospital, but again, bumping up to up against the bureaucracy and the difficulty with that. So, you know, my book was sort of my advocacy, my way of putting a story out in the world to affect change. The other became, you know, 15 years later, the head of the family center care at this hospital. So we, we didn't give up. We kept persevering, but we had to find different ways around to, to get through the, the red tape. Gosh. And Andy, uh, when, when were you first aware of being born preemie? Um, I think probably my whole life, honestly, but to be honest, it's kind of like it was like when I was born, it became a part of my life. And that was like my first introduction to the world, I guess. So I feel like I am just kind of used to it at this point, to be honest, because I've grown up with it. And I've also grown up with the book and all this stuff. Um, And I think yeah, I've just grown up with it and I've been aware of it my whole life, but also at the same time, it doesn't limit me or define me being born born as a preemie. No, absolutely not. I was going to say absolutely not. You've obviously had a wonderful role model with your mother, obviously, and and what you're achieving in life. But yeah, what a what what a wonderful story. You also, Andy, have the physical scars because so Andy ended up having four major surgeries within that first year. Um, You wanted to talk about your scars and if you're comfortable doing so. Yeah. So I had, um, well, I don't remember what the surgeries were, if you could explain those, but that's fine. We can, we can uh, understand that you wouldn't necessarily remember those. (laughs) I have two, um, pretty big scars on my stomach and then one on my back up near my shoulder blades. Where's the fourth one? Well, the fourth one, there are no scars because it was laser surgery in your eye. Okay. Um, yeah. So I have those four scars and they're pretty visible. Um, but at the same time, I honestly kind of like them and I think that they're pretty cool and they don't um, like, while other people might see them as, a negative part of themselves from being born a preemie. I honestly like them and embrace them. It's lovely. Well, I mean, it, it's obviously, you know, um, your your positivity and and it's part of your life and it's why you're here now. Yeah. O- o- you know, yeah. obviously, I mean, modern medicine is wonderful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Casey, what helped you get through it? Because obviously she was in the NICU for, as you said, 84 days. She had four major surgeries. That's a lot for a child's lifetime, let alone their first year of life. What helped you on the day-to-day just to kind of get through it? We were so lucky to live in a town where people just absolutely rallied around us. Um, a colleague of my husband's who worked in the town called and said, we have organized a calendar for the next three months of everybody bringing you a meal. Uh-huh. And another friend said, you know, it could move me to tears just thinking of this This. Um, support and and another friend said I've arranged daycare for Tucker two days a week and the other had um, somebody coming in the house two days you know so it was just all those details we were incapable of thinking of were taken care of for us 
so that it enabled us to be, because we also lived an hour away from the hospital. Mm. So the day-to-day getting in and out of the hospital, you know, alone was a challenge. But we obviously, you know, felt so torn because we had two children and two places. And Mm. we wanted to be in both places at the same time. But a really specific moment that I felt like changed my own personal trajectory is the moment multiple but you know one in particular when we stood in front of of pediatric doctors who said well these are all the things your daughter's going to be most likely because of her birth and all the things she never will be and because they're the authorities they're the doctors I nodded my head like like what we're doing and believed it yeah and my husband said no, we're going to let her decide who she's going to be. And it was this moment of like, wait, what? Mm. And he said, she's a statistic of one. And we're not going to base her future, you know, on numbers and statistics. Mm. We will see how this arises, you know. So, So that was a huge defining moment of not narrowing our perspective and saying okay because you say this is the truth this will be the truth so and and also at the same time being referred to um someone who is an energy healer a doctor of naturopathic medicine and that was really like the beginning of the big wake up for me where i started learning about energy and and even little things like but I can't be there. And she said, your energy field is always with her and it's protecting her even when you're an hour away. And the reverse is the same with Tucker. So it was this like this enormous amount of guilt just lessened it yeah. in many ways mm. for me. Because it's one thing you and don't then, need as a parent when you already do feel that as it is to be torn all that you if you feel like you're torn all the time you're probably not focused wherever you are so if you're in the hospital you're thinking about Tucker if you're with Tucker you're thinking about Andy and to have someone say that and then you embrace that is I think it's an amazing achievement because it obviously helped an enormous amount to get you through that yeah thank you and then finally the our families you know, very, very strong supportive families. And then Andy had four primary care nurses and they were like angels. I mean, they just came into our lives. And I remember um, one of them, Yvonne, um, she had Janice, Yvonne, Tina and Marsha. And I just, you know, it was time to leave. I had to get back to pick up Tucker. And I said, how can I leave her? And she said, oh, Casey, we will love her just as much as you will when you're not here. We become her her Nikki mommies, and we give her so much love. So that yeah. was the comfort of that. Oh, absolutely! They're phenom- they're, oh, they're just phenomenal. Nurses are just really, yeah. yeah. And Andy, what was it like uh, hearing your story um, from the book's perspective? Yes. You mean yes. Well, it's interesting because I feel like. As I've gotten older, my perspective on it has kind of changed. Like when I was younger and my mom was first writing the book, I just kind of took it as what it was. And now as I've gotten older, I've kind of realized that while it still is my story, at least the book is another person's perspective on my birth and my story. And it's interesting 
because I feel like as I've gotten older, um, thinking back on what I can remember, at least, I kind of have more focused on like defining myself and my own story, if that makes sense. Mm. <laughs> it does. Um, Maybe one day yeah. you can write your own version and see if, you know, yeah, make exactly. it your own story. Yeah. Um, but I've definitely kind of, I've obviously felt so much support growing up and not being like what my mom was saying. Um, when the doctor said that I'll be this and this and this, and I feel like growing up, I was met with so much support and love and I was given the space to do what I wanted to do or play sports or read or do basically whatever I wanted to define myself. And I feel like as I've gotten older, I've really become so grateful for that and realized that not many other people have that opportunity. And I feel like because of that, it's also helped me define my own story in my own eyes. So very good. What was Tucker like? How did you kind of explain that to him? Because obviously he knew he was going to have a baby, well, baby sister eventually, he knew that. But how did you explain that to him? Because being two, it's a very, hard, it's it's difficult to explain to a two-year-old that they're getting a sibling full stop, let alone that they have a sibling but not at home yet. Yeah, that was so heartbreaking because you know, it was the nightly reading to him, but we're also reading to the baby and you're going to be a big brother and leading up to that. And then you're a big brother, but there's no baby here Mm. for you because he wasn't allowed at two years old to go into the NICU because Andy was so medically fragile. Mm. So there was this real element of confusion and the disruption in his life. And then I can't remember how it happened and how we happened to be there. But he chose in a toy store, a doll, this big pink, I think it was like a cabbage patch kind of doll. I don't know if you have those. Yes. Yes. Round face doll with this pink hood. And he took that and he said, baby Andy. And I thought this kid is brilliant. You know, so we brought this baby Andy home and he would put her down for nap and oh, he would carry her around. So he found like a surrogate, oh. you know, and, and Andy knows all the stories. And I thought, you know, this is going to be the world's greatest big brother. And, and he is, oh, but also, you. and there were the moments like, you know, Andy comes home and I was a wreck and so worried about her. And, you know, Tucker tried to jump on her off the couch. And I thought, oh, there goes that theory. Yes. <laughs> so, but there's a, one of my most favorite pictures in the world is the very first time that Tucker held Andy when she was big enough, about four pounds in the, um, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's like the less critical NICU, that part of it where it's like the, the feed and grow. And so he sat in Lee's lap and he, he's holding wow. her and his cheeks just the so proud the moment. So proud. It Aww. was just so beautiful. And, um, there's something called early intervention here in the States And so that was immediately after Andy came home, a team of therapists come in and evaluate and and provide to three years old um, occupational therapy, um, physical therapy, speech therapy, all of this. And they evaluate 
and then have therapists come to the house. And um, a, a, most of them all said Tucker's her greatest therapist because Andy was always so intent on doing whatever Tucker did and chasing him. And, you know, wherever he mm. went, she was right behind him. And that was constantly challenging her. Mm. So. That, that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Casey, when when did you decide to write the book? I decided to write the book when Andy was turning seven years old. And at that point, I had developed um, a really close bond and friendship with we had we had moved to New Hampshire. The healing journey had begun for us in that this community that rallied around us and Andy, the preemie baby, was moved an hour north, an hour and a half north, and she didn't really have that identity anymore. She started in a Waldorf school, and she was in school full-time, as was Tucker, and there was this newfound time on my own plate. But I recognized and knew that I was not whole and I was not healed, and there was a, a ever-present hum of anxiety beneath the surface of my skin. I was in a constant state of anxiety. There was... You know, at that time, um, an outbreak, I think it was swine flu or something, and I went into the grocery and I saw a newspaper with a hypodermic needle on the cover and my knees gave out Mm. because Andy was medically fragile and we were always so afraid of something happening. So I knew I needed to make a shift. I knew I needed to heal myself. So I was on the Reiki table and um, I had gone in there and said, I'm just not feeling well. I don't know what's what's wrong. And it was mid to late November. And then as she put her hands on me, I said, oh, my gosh, Andy's turning seven next week. And every year up until that, I'd been out of sorts physically. It was almost like my cells remembered the upcoming anniversary of that trauma, even though I didn't think I was still in that space. Mm. And she said, take me back through her birth. So I did. And I started saying, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was, um, I felt like a failure as a mother. I couldn't, I didn't learn about any of the machines. I couldn't provide any milk. I couldn't keep her in past 25 weeks. You know, I, it was all of this. And, um, and I said, but I'll, I'll tell you at the second day after Andy was born, after I'd seen her in the NICU and it was such a disaster, Lee came back down and he said, you're going to have to go see her at some point. And I said, well, I just had this vision. I had this vision of a funeral in a week and our whole family was gathered around and it was tragic. And I had this other vision of this beautiful blonde five-year-old in our backyard at, you know, blonde, spunky five-year-old. And I said, that's the vision I'm holding. So right in that moment, my Reiki master, Libby Barnett, said, that's it. You were holding the vision. That's all you were meant to do. You weren't supposed to learn about the machines or pump, pump milk or anything else. You were holding the vision. And something in me kind of released and popped. Mm. And it was just like this moment of forgiveness. And when I was leaving, she took my hands and she said, um, when are you going to write your book? Oh, wow. Yeah. And that was the moment. Wow. It was born on a Reiki table. Hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Good. Great story. I guess it always. You know, magical moments like that from the the preemie magic, we call it. (laughs) And I think it's interesting because a lot of the time, a lot of people don't 
necessarily identify that they've had a traumatic birth because they've just been going through the motions and you were probably the same. It was just like, okay, well, this happened. So now she's got to be in the NICU and then whenever she had an operation, it's like she's got to have this. And then you're constantly like, okay, and so we've got to do this. We've got to have this. We've got to, you know, get her home. And then when we get her home, we've got to worry about everything. So you're always, like you said, you were holding on to it for so long that obviously the writing was definitely another form of therapy for you. And also you helped others who are also in the same situation. You know, that's always the benefit of people sharing their story is actually helping people who are going through it themselves. That was my main, um, when I first said, you know, to my husband, you know, it's always like keep that close and share just with a small group. But I remember, you know, saying to my husband, I'm going to write a book. And he was sort of like, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) And then when I wrote what has now become the preface in the book, and it just poured out of me one night at like on a Friday night at 10 at night. And I said, read this. And it really just said, you know, if my story offers you a moment away from yours, um, if it helps you to know you're not alone, then this was worth writing down. And he read it and he said, you have to write this book. Mm. And then it, so it, so it became my why because writing a book is no easy undertaking. And for the next three to five years, as I went through the writing, editing, and then the whole world of publishing is another, another topic for another podcast. (laughs) And, um, Whenever I would just say, I can't do this, this is too much, I have to quit, he would say, go back and read what you wrote, and that'll keep you going. Mm. So that was, That's wonderful. Yeah. And Andy, what was your childhood like? Do you like? Do you sort of look back and say, it was a normal childhood or it was a di- special childhood? Uh, well, to me, obviously it was normal because it was my childhood. Yeah, of but, course. Uh, I feel like when I was younger, I felt like I got the opportunity so much to explore what I want or wanted. Or like, I remember when I was younger, um, when I first started playing soccer with my dad and he would be my coach. And that was like a really good way for us to connect. And then after practice, we'd be outside um, in our backyard passing and like working on the specifically with soccer, you work on like the two touches and stuff like that. And he'd always like push me to do that further. And while he pushed me, it felt like I felt like I was really supported the whole time. And then also in school, when I was at a Waldorf school, I felt like it was a obviously when I was there, I didn't realize how good it was. But now looking back on it, the curriculum was mostly based on arts and we would have like a, wasn't it like a two hour recess every day or something yeah, like that? Two recesses, not two hours. But, and do you know Waldorf at some other parts of the world, it's called Steiner schools. Uh, yes, oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. You um, different and lots of outdoor time and movement was a big component. Yeah. If it, it might not have been two hours, but it felt like honestly half the day for me. <laughs> Sounds fun. Yeah, it was so much fun. And it was nice because being at that school and being able to be there, I was able to 
grow in different ways than I would have been at a traditional school or traditional elementary school. And uh, all the teachers there were really supportive and I was able to like learn in alternative ways and things like that. And then that would be my day in the, and then when I would come home, I'd be able to be outside and play with my brother or play soccer or do all these different things. So I feel like when I look back on my childhood, I feel like it was perfect, honestly, because that lovely? I was, yeah, because I was able to do so much and I never really felt like I was restricted, at least by my parents in any way. Um, yeah. And I just felt supported the whole time. Yeah. It's lovely. Oh, proud mum. You've done a wonderful <laughs> job. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. That's so nice to hear. It's, it is nice to hear that when you look back. Um, yeah, I'm covered in chills. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, when you were obviously at school, you know, kids can be quite cruel, at, you know, at, unintentionally and obviously with your scars do you feel like you always had to explain them did you share about it you know because kids love to kind of as I've learned from homeschooling they love to say what's going on you know in their bodies they've got a loose tooth they've got a this I mean I've been hearing this for 12 weeks now but did you feel like you were always kind of talking about it in a obviously clearly in a very positive way for you Um, I felt like, I honestly don't remember talking about it much and I don't remember people being mean about it per se. Normally if I, if someone saw it, I'd be like, oh, like when I was a baby, I had a bunch of cert or something like that, how like a fourth grader would explain it. Um, and the reaction I would always get is like, oh, wow, that's so cool or things like that. Like no one would ever be mean about it. And I like them because everyone else thought they were pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I never felt like I being a preemie was a weakness, especially at school. I kind of felt like um, it was like part of my story and it made me unique. And no one ever thought differently of it because I thought that way like maybe if I had thought that it was a weakness it would have allowed other people to use that opportunity to make fun of it or something but because I felt like maybe I was taught for my parents just to like completely embrace it and maybe because of that all the other kids were like oh wow you have scars on your stomach that's so cool and no one else like questioned it or anything that's good I mean it sounds like you were surrounded by obviously lovely children Lovely, yeah. lovely teachers and, and, and a beautiful family. So obviously, yeah, you had wonderful, a wonderful, you know, childhood, as you say, you know, with the, with the support network, network you had. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting because I remember when you were little and you've always wanted to wear bikinis and when you were little saying, do you want to just wear this one piece because it would cover up these big scars on her front and back and her saying, no, I love my scars. Mm. Not love, but you no. know, no, I love my scars. So me following her lead and saying, yeah, like this idea, like she's the teacher here. Like, yeah, yeah good on you. Like own it. Yeah. And it feels like that, that owning it and that approach of like, yeah. And, you know, and then, Daddy and I kind of thought, well, as she gets more into the adolescent teenager years, there's no way she's going to walk around in a bikini with these big scars on her abdomen, and it's never changed. You've just continued. Is that wonderful? Life. This is who I am, and we're we're yeah. inspired by you so much. So, so yeah, it just it is a part of me, and it feels like a part of my story. So, 
I'm happy with them and I can be confident with them. So well, it's like a, a badge of honor because you survive. Like yeah. realistically, you are so strong to have gone through what you went through and come out the other side defying, you know, whatever odds the doctors had given your parents at the start. So you've obviously taken that as, yeah, the scars are there for a reason because that's why I'm here. Exactly, yeah. And uh, Casey, what was it like bringing Andy home for the very first time? It's interesting. That's really like where so much of the story began because – okay, now your baby gets to go home and like your NICU journey is over. But in many ways, that's really where it's just beginning. I kept saying, but I'm not a nurse. You know, how can I take her home? And I was so lacking confidence in my own ability to care for this medically fragile child, you know, and I just, like I said, that, that constant hum of anxiety was just pervasive. And And when my husband, I stayed home with the kids and when he would leave for work in the morning, it was like, please don't go. You know, you're the one who should be here with the kids. And so it was a lot of, I don't want to say faking my way through it because I, you know, wholeheartedly loved and opened myself to them as much as I was, uh, as I was capable. And yet I was like hanging on by a thread. There was, there was no quiet, you know, because you go from the NICU and where the baby's being cared for 24 hours a day to now the baby's in your care 24 hours mm. a day. And you think, well, now at least we're going to be home and have quiet snuggles and quiet time in the bed. But you have a stream of therapists coming through and then you have ongoing medical follow-up with the doctors So there really wasn't much quiet at all, you know, and it was really my daily walks. I had a side-by-side stroller where they both would be in and just walk and walk and walk and walk and just outdoors. And that was, that was my husband's big thing. Um, You know, he grew up as a ski racer. Both kids were ski racers and, and outdoors in the air, expanding in these lungs, just keep breathing in this cold New England Mm. air. So that was my saving grace, but it, it was not easy in any way, shape, or form. Those those first early years were certainly a challenge. Many, many beautiful, gorgeous moments watching the two grow up together and also hanging on and trying to find something to help me heal and come back into myself and find my own strength. Mm. Andy, do you still have, do you feel like you still have a really strong bond with your brother? Um, I feel like as we've gotten older, it obviously has changed and everything with going through high school and being different ages. But I feel like when, because he's in Arizona right now for flight school, but when most recently he came home for his birthday and then other times he comes home. And I honestly feel like when he comes home and we're all together as a family, it feels like when we were younger, to be honest, and we all joke around and eat and have food and stuff like that. And I feel like while it's kind of changed over the years, as we gotten older, when we're back together as a family, we're still that one unit and we've never really lost that, which I really, I really appreciate. And I really love those moments. 
when we're all able to be together. That's lovely. Yeah. And and Andy, like looking at photos of obviously which you would have when you were a baby, you know, can you believe how obviously determined, you know, you must have been, you know, to not only survive but thrive? I mean, is it something you kind of look at this little thing and think, wow, you know, like look at what I've done, you know, the person I've become? Um, I think recently I just kind of came like a couple of weeks ago, I just kind of came to a realization about honestly how close I was to death. And I've never really acknowledged that for myself because the rest of the time when I look at those pictures and things like that, I just think like, that's who I am. Like I've always been, and my mom and dad always say this also all the time that I'm very determined and if I set my mind to something, I will achieve it. And looking back on those pictures, I just kind of see it as myself. And I've always like, I think because of being born a preemie, it's kind of made me, well, it didn't kind of, it did make me a lot stronger. And it helped me realize like how precious life is and how much you should fight for things that you want. Um, yeah. And I think only recently I've kind of acknowledged um, the severity of my birth. I remember Andy, when we went back to visit the NICU and we did several times to visit your nurses, but there was one time when Marsha said, come on, we, a new baby's just come in. Do you want to see the baby? And you saw firsthand a baby born at 25 weeks do you remember that yeah and I was shocked you were you're probably like seven eight years old maybe yeah it definitely I mean I've definitely like over the years I sometimes come to the realization about how shocking it really is but at the same time it's just so integral to my story and who I am that I don't really see it as a bad thing. I see it as a positive thing that I did survive this. And because I survived basically life or death, I can do anything that I want to. And I know I have the support to do so. Mm. Wonderful. It's amazing. Yeah. And obviously you went back to the NICU to see, as you said, to see your nurses. What what was the nurse's reaction? Because they obviously would see from the start of this one pound baby to now this, you know, thriving toddler and then young little girl. Like what what was that like for them to see, you know, Andy walk in every time, probably growing each time that she went back? Yeah. Do you remember Andy? I mean, they were just, you know, just thrilled and and, you know, but yeah, I, I'm so shocked. Yeah. And but I, you know, I think it on our end, she's our only you know, and just sort of like the miracle baby, but they live in the world of miracle babies. Mm. So I think it happens more often for them, but it also, um, you know, we still every year send our Christmas cards to them and communicate and stay, you know, in touch like that. So they've seen um, the cards through the years and then the visits. So, you know, for us, it's like, look at her. (laughs) And I think they're like, yes, look at her. And, you know, and she's one of, Many. 500,000 yeah. born every year in the state, you know, so, um, yeah. But it's still, so I don't I, know. 
It still must be lovely for them to see, obviously, with all the wonderful work that they do, you know, the like the good side of, mm. of the outcome, you know. Uh, I mean, it obviously must make them feel absolutely, you know, wonderful about, you know, the, what they do. Yeah, I think so very much. Don't you, Andy? I mean, when you've been in there, it's just joyous. Yeah, I obviously don't remember much from my birth, but I do remember going to see the nurses and I would honestly be like, they would be so shocked and I'd be like, yeah, like it's me. All this <laughs> survived and all that. But from their perspective, obviously it would be very different and same from my parents. Um, Casey, do you feel like you always had to defend Andy though growing up? Obviously she started off being preemie and you're always saying, you know, no, she can do this and, you know, not letting that be who she was. And as obviously your husband said, be that statistic that was going to have X, Y, and Z. I think the biggest challenge for me was not holding her back. You know, she was on skis at two years old. (sighs) And, And I knew what we had done to get her to where she was so I'm skiing behind her, you know, she's in this little yellow puffy down coat, you know, and I am like, you better not let anything happen to her, <laughs> and, you know, and behind her, like trying to be as big as I possibly could. But, you know, I had to keep resisting this grab her and pull her home and keep her home and wrap her in bubble wrap. Yeah. And, and rhino therapy was recommended. I think that's what it's called in horseback riding. And how, you know, we did all these things because so much is about strengthening the core. And she had a, a horse at home to ride on in the backyard and rings and all these things to strengthen the core, the eyes, all of this. Um, but it was really recommended that she get on the horse. And at three years old, I just was like, mm, I can't. That's just, that's just too far, too far for me. I just, there's just no way. So when we moved to New Hampshire... Andy quickly befriended lots of kids in the class and they were part of an after-school riding program. So she was now five. Mom, please, I've always wanted to ride horses. And, you know, and the other moms were like, oh, it's the group and you, she can come with us. And I said, sure. So it was a nice little paddock and a woman's backyard. And I felt really safe and secure about it. And Andy was just thrilled about it. But after she'd been doing it for a month or so, the instructor said, you know, I think Andy could really benefit from vaulting. And I said, oh, okay, you know, sure, whatever. And so she, Andy's thrilled. I want to do this. I can't wait. And, you know, I wasn't thinking much about it. And dropped her off for the lesson. And she ran down to the paddock. And I did whatever I needed to do in the car and came back around. And there was another mom talking to me. We walked together. And I looked down at the paddock. And there is Andy standing on horseback. Oh. With her arms spread wide and vaulting is basically like, gymnastics on a horse and my whole body this other mom had to hold me up and I was like what's happening and I was like what Uh. off this horse you know and then the lesson ends and Andy comes running up and her eyes are as big as saucers and she said mom I love vaulting and I was like no (laughs) it's like your worst nightmare so it's been that way perpetually. Andy just saying, you know, I mean, travel. She's been to your part of the world. She did a gap year, travel the world in high school to Nepal, South Africa, just this like, 
life is for living. I'm going to go for it. And don't stand in my way, mom. And just this kind of like, oh, Lord, keep her safe, mm. but don't hold her too tightly. Mm. So, you know, Andy and I were prior talking about she's been so good with boundaries since as a as an emerging adult, but also as a younger child, just nope, I'll do it. Never do it for me, you know. And I was always that, like, come on, we gotta go, we gotta get out of the house, tie your shoes here, I'll do it for you. No, wow. I'll do it for myself. So, you know, even at this age, as a college student, you know, hey, can we? Nope, thanks, I got it. So that's been wow. She's annoying. really, really, really forged her own way. I was going to say. And the next question to Andy is: What lessons about being resilient did you learn from your mum? But it sounds like you've done it yourself in a way because your mum's allowed you to. I feel like I also have. I think one thing that I've also recently noticed from my birth is that when I was born and everything that went on and how I was in the NICU for so long and basically growing up until the a year or two ago, I kind of realized that all my life I've pushed through things and had to be tough and strong. And obviously being surrounded by my brother Tucker and him being my older brother and obviously with an older sibling, like you always look up to them and I always wanted to do what he was doing or things like that. And I would always follow his lead and we would like scooter down like a really steep hill and then fall and then (laughs) get like scratches and stuff. But then we get back up or like doing crazy things while skiing or making jumps and going sledding off of them. And I have noticed that for a while and basically my whole life I've, allowed myself to be really strong and push through things because that was what I had to do when I was born. But I think one thing that I've recently realized, and I've also noticed this with my mom, is learning how to let myself be sensitive and be strong that way. And be strong in a more, I mean, I guess, feminine way instead of pushing through things in a masculine way. And I've definitely learned that And I've come to notice it more with my mom and how she deals with conflict or deals with things in a more feminine way. And she allows herself to be more sensitive in a good way and not shaming herself for doing those things. And I feel like while I've been able to push through things and just kind of move on, I feel like I've definitely noticed with my mom that she's able to ground herself and check in with herself emotionally. And I've been learning from that more recently. So I say that is one thing that I've learned. That's really nice. Really nice. Yeah. There's strength in vulnerability sometimes. Exactly. Well, we're going to move on to our lightning round. And if you don't stick to one word, that's fine. We don't, we don't, no point no system here, yeah, so it's fine. Yeah. But one word to describe your relationship when Andy was a teenager. So, Casey, you can go first, and then Andy, you can say yours. You know, I'm going to say Google because just <laughs> questions all her life, and we just say, "Go look it up on Google." <laughs> I think I would say loving because. 
whenever I had an issue at school or things like that, I would always talk to my mom, like in the car ride home, we would talk about it. And she'd always listen to me and kind of give like a therapist perspective on it and a more like a more neutral mediator type perspective. And I feel like that was a really strong form of support that I had. That's very nice. And one word to describe your relationship now that you're, you know, more in in adulthood. Casey? I don't know if you'll like this, Andy, but I'll say friend. Oh, that's no, that's not. Oh, it's nice. It's lovely. I I think I would say I honestly think I would say friend also. <laughs> because yeah, I think our relationship has changed and especially being at college, it's definitely been different and I obviously had to become more independent. And I feel like if I need help with things or just to check in, I'll call my mom and we'll talk about things more as friends and less as a mother telling her daughter what to do and things like that. Mm. Casey, what characteristics do you think she has of you? Compassion, empathy, um, actually deep intuition. That's nice. And, and Andy, what characteristics do you think you got from your mum? Well, I was going to say intuition also, oh. but I'll think of another one. Um, I would say similar to intuition, I would say wisdom, having just a deep understanding of things. What's the most memorable moment in your relationship? You go in first, Andy? You can go. I need to think. <laughs> I'm gonna, it's not going to be one word. Um, when Andy was two, she came down with um, something called RSV. And the doctor said to us, and when she was in her hospital bed, it's going to be up to her whether she chooses to make it. And I ran out of that room. You know, I'd been fight or flight. I'd been flying away, away, away. And I called my mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, and everybody panicked with me. And then I called my dear friend and yoga teacher and I said, Nancy, the doctor said, you know, they don't know if she's going to make it. And she said, Casey, you put the phone back down, you go in there, you put your hands on her and you breathe for her. And, you know, and I didn't take a beat. She said, now go. And I closed the phone, ran back in and put my hands on Andy's chest and started breathing for her and she was not in a good place at all. And she climbed up out of the bed and came onto my chest this way. And they transferred us to the ICU at the next hospital tied together like this. And that was the moment for me where it was like, I'm, we're in this together. Not one word. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 that's not, not one be, word. No, that's not meant to be no one way. word. Yeah. That's the a, word would be bonded, right? That's there. beautiful. No, no. Um, I think my example is a little less serious. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'd say when, I think it was during COVID, so it was last winter when we went to Jupiter, was it? Yeah. We, um, obviously because of COVID, we, our whole family was really um, diligent about it. And obviously not getting on planes and everything. And when I was home for Christmas break, we um, 
spontaneously decided to my mom and I spontaneous because there was a week before school started and my grandparents have a condo in Jupiter Florida which is like I think it's near Miami isn't it um so we spontaneously decided to drive down there and it was like a three-day trip I think and we stayed at all these different places and we I that was I think that's the most memorable memory I have because it was so much fun. It was a lot of bonding and obviously we fought and everything like that, like especially about the speed and all that stuff. <laughs> but then when you were we, driving, yeah. <laughs> but it was just so fun to go with my mom in two different places and experience different things. And also at the same time, we would like bond over the places we had to stop or the things that ended up happening. And we, talk a lot or listen to like audiobooks and stuff like that. So I feel like that was a really good memory I have where we were just like together. Yeah, together nice. and able to talk and everything like That's that. That's very nice. And who gives the best advice? You can go first, Mom. Uh I mean, you have such a brilliance about you, Andy, that you know, you'll just say, you know, Mom, have you ever thought of it this way? And I think how, how, where did you come from? So I think Andy does. Wow, that's really nice. I think that's the first time we've heard that. Yeah, one of the first times. Normally normally it's the mum that, so, gets, that gets the nod, so yeah. that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'll say. Um, I would say we both have, I, well, I would say we both have our moments where if my mom is like, like usually you'll be, dealing with an issue would be like oh should I do this should I do that and I'll be like just do that and you're like oh okay yeah, that, was that. So, that was so simple Where <laughs> <laughs> other times I'll be dealing with an issue and I feel like my mom will give really good advice that's very um unbiased and it's from an outsider's perspective that I really needed to hear but couldn't because I would be so close to an issue so I feel like I feel like you definitely give the best advice. <laughs> What's the best advice your mom's ever given you? I'm sure it's, there's a lot to choose from. Hmm. You give me so much advice that I can't really think of one. I would say, I think one thing that you've said that I've recently been thinking about, maybe you said it in different words. I'm not sure, but I feel like um, things aren't that serious and have fun with things because I feel like um my mom has also kind of led with example with that where I will take things a lot more seriously than I should and then when she's like it's not that big of a deal or it's not that serious um I'll kind of be like oh yeah right and then I'll kind of um behave like that and take that advice into the situations that I have that's very good and is there a time in your life uh, you wish you could relive, not necessarily change? Uh, I'd say my childhood, being able to, especially being in New Hampshire, because um, right now at least I really miss being able to just play and have free time after school and being able to play and make fairy houses or play soccer or things like that where I would just be able to live without 
judgment of other people and things like that. And I was able to be, cause we live on many acres of land in rural New Hampshire and I would just be able to explore and use my imagination. Yeah. So I would, you know, it's now Andy at college, Tucker off at flight school. Um, the mornings there's a, there's an inherent loneliness. I've found a new daily practice. I'm writing, working on another book, really using that time to focus on me. And yet the longing for, you know, flipping pancakes and washing sticky maple syrup plates. You know, I don't know if that will ever leave me. Mm. I think it will always just sort of be a part of now of my makeup and, and just that like, just, you know, what I wouldn't give to have them both sitting here in those morning snuggles. And, and I remember other mothers saying to me, like, enjoy it, soak it up mm. and thinking, yeah, I do. And I'm also, you know, yeah. so yeah. mm. and now I'm the same way. I yeah. get it. Yeah. Oh, well, there it is. Yeah. So. How many times a day do you think you call each other? It's texting. Texting, yeah. yeah. I think it definitely fluctuates, especially for me with school. I think when my schedule gets a lot busier. But I feel like we do text a lot, and especially like over the summer or whenever I'm home, I feel like we basically do a lot of things together, even if we don't realize it, like running errands or going to work out or like over the summer, I made my mom go to um, bar classes with me and we would do that at like, what time would it be? Like eight in the morning, which was so early for me. But we do a lot of things like that together, especially when um, we're in the same house. But I also feel like we do text a lot and especially FaceTiming and calling. And and who would call the most? I feel like you call me more, don't you? Yeah, you text. I text. Say, how's it? And she says, good. You know, it's a generational thing. Yeah, it is. But the wonderful thing Andy did was she created a family text, and that was about a year ago. So it's the four of us. So that funny pictures and articles and things that we find the group can share. And that was a stroke of brilliance because that felt like a really nice way because it's hard to all call, Mm. you know, we can't be together on the call, but we can be together on that. And I love that. That's really nice. Yeah. And with that, we also, sometimes if like my mom and dad are talking to Tucker on the phone at night, um, they'll dial me in. So then we all talk together or, we don't do it as much, but um, group FaceTimes, like in our group chat, yeah, we're all yeah. FaceTime and like Tucker will be like watching TV or something and then he'll respond. I'll be doing other things, but we're all on that for like half an hour or so. That's what I was yeah. like, take- we've, had these, we've had these moments where it's like Andy has this big dilemma and Lee and I have been talking to her for, you know, 20 minutes trying to help her figure it out and different paths and then call up Tucker and bring him in and he'll say, you know, three sentences. And Andy says, oh, that's it. Yeah, OK. <laughs> and the call's over and we're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it, I was going to say technology is wonderful for, you know, these sort of times of family staying in touch. Yeah. Very, very, yeah. very privileged life we lead you know to be able to do that yeah well thank you so very much for your story and your time yeah it's been wonderful really lovely oh 
just such an amazing story and and keep sharing and yeah keep writing and keep sharing your story thank you both so much and wishing yeah, wishing you andy all the success in becoming an entrepreneur i think obviously whatever you want to achieve in life obviously clearly you will thank you so much thank no. you for having no, us no it's lovely Pleasure. and really. happy birthday for next yes. week yes thank you that's lovely thank you so much Bye. 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 Nice to meet you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you have a mother and daughter story that you would like to share, send us a DM on Instagram at Mothers and Daughters Pod. If you loved this episode, please subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss a new episode. Spread the love and share the podcast with your mum or sister or friend. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. See you next week. And don't forget to call your mum.